At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Two esteemed Atlanta creatives teamed up to present Duke Ellington's Cat at the Center for Puppetry Arts. Artistic director John Ludwig and music director S. Renee Clark join us later this hour to talk about adapting the story of an American musical visionary for children as they learn about Ellington's life and legacy through the eyes of his very cool cat. Plus, City Lights music contributor Vaughn Phoenix stops by with this month's edition of Punk Black To Go. First, the world's biggest blues guitarist. Joe Bonamassa will rock the stage of Atlanta's Fox Theater on March 4th. The three-time Grammy-nominated blues rock star will showcase new material from his acclaimed album Time Clocks, as well as classic career-spanning hits. Joe Bonamassa joins me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your being here. So your new album is called Time Clocks, and several of the songs reference time with the title track and others like Notches and The Heart That Never Waits. Besides being fundamental to the structure of music, what is the thematic importance of time in this work? Well, I, I will say this. The the reason why the, the record has this theme about time is because, you know, every every once in a while, you 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 know, I mean, I wrote and recorded that record right before my 45th birthday. And you know, I was, I just thought about it. I was like, I was like, wow, I'm going to be 45 this year. And I'm still not old, but, you know, Blink and I, I remember the day I turned 40. And that was like, wow, that's a, wow, you know, turn 40. You blink and I you go back in time. I turned 35. Blink and I, I turned 30, you know, and it doesn't seem like that, that long ago. You know what I mean? Like, you know, these, these memories that I have of these gigs that we've done and places I've traveled to doesn't seem that long ago, but, 
you know, 20 years goes by pretty quickly now. And, you know, and, you know, Blink and I, I'll, you know, I, I, I'll make another solo record this year and then I'm going to wait until I turn 50 to make the next follow up <laughs> to that. And really, you're like, wow, another five years goes by. I guess that's part of getting, of maturing and, and getting older that years seem like months and days seem like minutes, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, I wanted to address that, you know. Well, I have to add that the blink of an eye and you go back 32 years in your still very young 45-year-old self. Yeah. You were recognized for your star power at this ridiculously early age. Please tell us how you were chosen to open for the legendary B.B. King on tour when you were 12 years old? Well, you know, it was just one of those things I was able to draw a crowd in my regional area, which was, you know, upstate New York. And a concert promoter was, they would put on these, these festivals every year in Rochester. And it was just one of those things where, you know, I got booked on this gig and then B.B.'s tour manager told him that he had a 12-year-old kid opening up for him. And uh, he was intrigued, to say the least, that a 12-year-old would play the blues. And I remember him watching some of my show, and I got to meet him after the gig. And he was such a gentleman. And we became fast friends. And and BB's manager, Sid, at the time, legendary Sid Seidenberg, was, uh, you know, was like, hey, you, sh you should do some more shows with Mr. King. I'm like, sign me up, you know? And, and that was it. And we got in the family automobile, and we would bring the band and some some gear and bb would always borrow my you know he always used my twin reverb he liked my twin reverb my fender amp because he never traveled with an amp back then and he would just show up and the and the band would use the opening acts back line that was part of the deal and it, it was just like i you know next thing you know i'm on tour with bb king in my summer vacation you know when i'm in eighth grade and that was it and 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 he was very generous with his time and his his energy and and his advice. And uh, one of the things I remember, and speaking of technology, when I first got an iPod, I I had no idea, nor did Apple provide any directions. I had no idea how to get the music off the computer into the iPod. And an 80-year-old BB King taught me how to do that on his 80, 80th birthday tour uh, that I was a, a part of. In the back of his bus, he was like, "No, you just gotta you click on the songs and you just drag them to the iPod." <laughs> I'm like, "Wow, you know how to do that, and I have no clue." You know, so he was hip. He was hip to a lot of stuff by the end. Oh, I I, lo I love the intergenerational learning that went on here, and what a great story about his generosity and recognition of your talent. Thank you. I mean, you don't just you know drop onto a stage out of nowhere at age 12 with B.B. King. So how old were you when you first picked up a musical instrument? I was four when I, when I first started. And speaking of time, you know, I'll be playing the guitar this year, 42 years, to the point where I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't play the guitar. And, you know, it's just something that I, I really have... Uh, you know, it's 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 a lifetime love that I've had with the instrument and playing music and, you know, stuff like that. And, and you know, I've had a great career so far. Mm. 
Yeah, I would say so. When did you discover the blues? Uh, my dad had a great record collection, and he would play records on Saturdays for me. One Saturday, he played Jethro Tull, Thick as a Brick, and then the next Saturday, he'd play Muddy Waters or B.B. King Live at the Regal or something like that. And uh, I just remember, you know, when I first heard the blues, I was like, I'm just so intrigued by the, the simplicity of it, but it was so complex within the harmonic structure, given that most of it was either one chord or three chords. And, you know, I always say to people, it's very easy to play the blues badly, but it's very, very difficult to play the blues correctly. And we all just, it's a lifetime search. You know, it's a, totally a lifetime search for, you know, those little nuances and the time within the time, you know, the, the where you place the vocal, where you place the solo and how you extract the, the maximum amount of emotional impact that you can from the music. And you were already doing this within the blues context at a very tender age. Well, I was probably doing it poorly back then, but I've learned now. But, you know, every year I find you you, you get better. You get better at things. And, and, you know, you listen to your playing now and, and you look back 20 years or even 30 years and you go, wow, I, I just kind of through osmosis have, have picked up these little things and you know, I'm, I'm a much more tasteful player now than I was when I was a kid. You know, when, when I was a kid, I just wanted to impress everybody quickly. You know, now I'm, I let my reputation precede me a little bit. If you are just tuning in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, and my guest is blues guitarist Joe Bonamassa. Joe, what other major influences shaped your sound? I think the eclectic nature of my musical tastes have influenced a lot of what I do. You know, everything from Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page's work to prog music. I love early Yes and Genesis and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. I'm a huge Bruce Hornsby fan. Not many people would associate me with Bruce Hornsby, but I'm a huge Bruce Hornsby fan. I love his arrangements and the way he puts music together. And all of that just kind of seeps into your, when you're writing a song, it just kind of seeps into your writing process and, and you're, you're absolutely, you know, influenced by it. And, and you, you, you just start putting little bits that you've, that you've kind of collected over the years. Among your three Grammy nominations, one is for a 2016 live album featuring you performing at the Greek Theater. A live album getting a Grammy nod is quite an achievement because there are far fewer, if any, bells and whistles in terms of editing and production for an artist to hide behind. What do you bring to the live stage that fans cannot get from hearing a studio album? I think, you know, I've always been a fan of live albums because I really think that's what the, the true nature of the band or the artist is. You know, that's, you know, like when, you, when you make an album, especially early on, if you have a record company, they're like, we want a single on the radio. So it can't be more than four minutes and it's got to sound like this and the chorus needs to be louder and you know it kind of gets filtered through the committee thinking 
live, you just do whatever you want, whenever you want, you know, and you're feeling through things. I think you get to the core nature of an, of an artist much quicker when you listen to their live recordings versus studio. Studio, you have, I mean, now, the difference between now and when I started, we used to have at most 48 tracks, at most. That's if we had two tape machines running in tandem. And now you have infinite amount of takes, infinite amount of tracks, infinite amount of options. And I think sometimes that actually goes against the music i think you overthink it you go well we can always take it again or we can cut this section out and we could put it here and, and the editing processes back when i first started if you wanted to move a chorus to the end of the song you'd have to get a razor blade out and cut the tape you know that, that was an exacting process and you had to be sure about it so you had to commit to these decisions in the studio a lot a lot quicker and and you had to be certain about the ones you were making so that to me i think those limitations i think bring out better arranging better pre-production better everything thinking about your eclectic taste and many influences this new recording time clocks explore some unusual sounds for a blues album notches, features sitar and tablas, and in the loyal kind, we can hear what sounds like an Irish flute or, or penny whistle. These maidens in the shadows bring darkness to the light. I've fallen, I know I'm just not right. I've dug myself a hole with the shovel that I brought. Do you think I was blind or you wouldn't get caught? The record was produced by Kevin Shirley, I saw, who's also known for his work with Journey and Iron Maiden, among others. How did you and Kevin work together in deciding on these unique sonic signatures for time clocks? Well, it was definitely our most ambitious record that we, he and I have ever made. You know, I mean, we really pushed the boundaries of, of, the, of the arrangements and we pushed the boundaries of, you know, I mean, I've always been a fan of world music. I mean, historically, my records have had, you know, bazookies on them and, you know, some mandolins and, and you know, I've worked with uh, the great uh, Tina Guo, great cellist on those, on those, you know, the Carnegie Hall adventures. And we've always pushed the boundaries of what 
people traditionally think of blues-based music is. Now, is it traditional blues? Absolutely not. I would be the first to admit. Is it blues-based? Yes. Does it borderline world music sometimes? Possibly. But, you know, the thing about being an independent artist that really doesn't rely on radio airplay, we don't have to adhere to the those formulas that get you on the radio. It's like, as long as the fans like it, I'm thrilled. Hmm. Well, I think that's also part of what won over PBS viewers with your concerts on public television is not only the world music influences, but, you know, you're pushing the envelope with bringing new sounds to the blues. You were talking about B.B. King's generosity. I recently had a conversation with an old friend of yours and another guitar god, Eric Gales, and he spoke about your friendship and how extraordinary a person you have been in his life. Oh, that's very generous. And that speaks to several efforts on your part, supporting other musicians as well as music students. Would you talk about your nonprofit, Keeping the Blues Alive? Well, speaking of Eric Gales, after after we finish our conversation, I'm actually having lunch with him today. Ah. He's in Los Angeles. He was up for Best Contemporary Blues at the Grammys. So, um, you know, the thing about Eric is I've known him for so long and I've always loved him. I've loved his energy. I've loved his spirit. You know, we did a record in 2020 together. We really addressed all those things, those struggles that he's had in his life. And we put him in a positive, you know, light in the sense that, you know, it's it's the phoenix that rises from the ashes. You know, that's the music business is fickle and people will write you off if they think it's too problematic. But, you know, somebody with his talent and his unbelievable ability, not only as a guitar player, but as a singer, he's a great singer. Now he doesn't get enough credit for it, that it's a no brainer. And if you get him some, the, the right bag of songs, it'll change his life. I mean, it already has changed his life. I mean, he's up for a Grammy for the first time. And, you know, and that kind of goes with the keeping the blues alive mission statement in the sense that, you know, we've helped a lot of our, a lot of our peers We've produced records for them. You know, during the pandemic, we gave away over 300 packages of a $1,500 check, some gas cards we gave out. You know, we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've given away almost over a million, you know, dollars in, in grants to schools and musicians. And, and it's from hip hop to bluegrass. We don't keep it in the blues exclusively. 
you know, it's because I think a strong music community is a good music community and, and however you want to help and however you want to, you know, however we get there, it doesn't matter. We just got to get there. And it's, and it's hard enough to make a career and, and it's hard enough to be a stable, well-paid musician, you know, in, in these times, because, you know, there's no record sales anymore. There's no, it's all streaming and, and it's really based on how quickly you can adopt to a vertically integrated model where you're touring and your merchandise and your, your recording and management are all under one roof. And, you know, that's been our, that's been our model for, for 20 years. Blues rock guitar legend, Joe Bonamassa. He's performing at the Fox Theater this Saturday, March 4th. And more information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, we'll hear about Duke Ellington's Cat, the new children's production on stage at the Center for Puppetry Arts. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. Duke Ellington is considered the greatest jazz composer and band leader of his time, composing thousands of scores. His career spanned from the Roaring Twenties and the Harlem Renaissance through the Civil Rights Movement. Though young children today may not know his name, the Center for Puppetry Arts is doing its part to introduce the Duke to young eyes and ears with their returning musical production of Duke Ellington's Cat. The show chronicles the early life and times of the legendary musician through the eyes of his cat, who must save his owner from a most unfortunate event. John Ludwig is the artistic director of the Center for Puppetry Arts. He wrote and directed Duke Ellington's Cat and joins me now via Zoom, along with the show's music director, Esprinay Clark. 
Welcome back to City Light. So good to talk with you both. Thank you, Lois, and thank you for having us. Thank you. John, please tell us about choosing Duke Ellington's story for a puppet production and how you developed this story. Yes, the story, it was a title. I had it floating around in my head for years, Duke Ellington's Cat. I didn't know what it meant. And then an opportunity came up one year and we were looking for a new title. And I said, well, what about Duke Ellington's Cat? And they said, well, what is that about? And I said, well, it's about his cat who's living with him. And at first it was going to be like a Sunday afternoon with the Duke. And I thought, well, this isn't really letting us know about when he lived and how he lived. So I sort of turned it into a mystery. He was writing and he wrote a suite for the Queen of England, which he made one pressing and gave her everything. So it could never be repeated. So we had the two mischievous mice come along and steal the score so that the queen doesn't have to hear jazz music because to them it's just not proper. <laughs> As if mice are. Yeah, right. And, and so it became an adventure. The sheet music is a vehicle for going back through his life, starting, like he said, in the 20s, going all the way up into 60s. And that's kind of how it developed a story. It just came and kind of just blossomed from there. Now, why is this the first time this show's been produced since 2008? That's a really good question. We've been, it's been well attended, much more, though, than the first time we did it in 2008. And I think it's because there's an awareness of other peoples, of new stories, and there's interest, and it's, you know, part of Black History Month. And I think people are more interested in discovering this other stories like Duke Ellington and Fascinating Life. Hmm. Renee, this question is for you as well as John. How do you convey the importance of Ellington's life to a new generation? Ellington was so in touch with his environment. If you listen to his his legacy of music, you can hear the environment that's around him. In the 20s, you can almost hear the sound of the cars in his music. And as he progresses, like when we get up to the 40s and and the 70s, the music gets cleaner. And I think what we're missing in our arts and with people of every generation, especially our new babies, is the ability to express what they are feeling around them through art, through visual art or musical or singing or or words. And Duke Ellington was such a great poet in music. He's, he's so visual. And I think it's really easy to take in. This is a beautiful show. And the music is, is palatable. Hmm. Yeah, I I was curious, Renee, because jazz can be abstract, and Duke Ellington experimented with form throughout his career. So how did you translate jazz for children in the target age group of this show, which is, what, 4 through 12? It's wonderful. We start off with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, 
and we just put a tiny tilt. We just tilt it to the right just a little bit, put a little swing on it. And the kids just immediately relate to it. It's something that they know and it's not so far that you can't understand it. It's just, it's just within reach. And it's, it's being proven every day that the kids understand it. It's not too far. Yeah, they love to clap along and sing along to the, to the Twinkle Twinkle. John, I have not had the pleasure of seeing this show yet. I wondered if you incorporate the idiomatic meaning of cat. I mean, Duke Ellington's <laughs> cat could have, you could have been writing about one of his human friends, you know, a cool cat he hung out with. Does that appear in the show? Yeah, he has a special relation with Duke. He's, he feels like he, like most cats, feel like they're, they're doing their job helping you <laughs> sleep or eat. <laughs> but he goes on these adventures, which do, really I did a lot of research Visually, it's really stunning because it's black light or UV light mostly. And it's very vivid. And we were inspired. We were like, well, what does jazz look like? You know, well, how do you, what is jazz? So we have a very jazzy set. And the black light, we were inspired by Romare Bearden's collages of jazz musicians. And in our proscenium, it's very much like in that style. And Romero Bearden was a contemporary of Ellington. They knew each other. And it just made sense to make it like abstracted just a little bit and playing around with scale, little tiny and shadow puppetry, uh, anything that helped us to further the story along because it's such a fascinating life he led. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes discussing the Center for Puppetry Arts production of Duke Ellington's Cat with writer and director John Ludwig and music director S. Renee Clark. This is for both of you as well. I read that you received feedback about the production from second graders at Burgess Peterson Academy. Absolutely. Yeah, Title I Atlanta Public School. What were reactions from the students? Well, first of all, they were really fascinated with the cat character itself, the just who was he and an interest in his, his just ability to move and dance and sing. And, you know, he's in his own way, he's, he's scat cat. <laughs> and they were fascinated with that. And we played some of Ellington's music. And they, you're right, they, they may not know it, but now that they do know it, they loved it. It is timeless. It is timeless. Renee, are any more recent forms of music incorporated into the show? We go all the way to... Uh, well, It Don't Mean a Thing was pretty early in his career. What good is melody? What good is music? If it ain't possessing something sweet. It ain't the melody. It ain't the music. There's something else that makes the tune complete. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got the swing. It don't mean a thing. All you got to do is sing. 
But one of the things that I did want to bring up, Lois, which is there's a moment with the Lindy Hop. It's absolutely my favorite moment in the show. These little puppets are dancing. They're so believable. They're so believable. In rehearsals, I saw it a million times and I never got tired of seeing it. It's an amazing, it's an amazing performance. I think this has to be my favorite Lindy Hop puppet performance. I've <laughs> they've been present in a couple of shows that I did, but this one is just it's worth it's worth the show. <laughs> oh wow. John, do tell us about the use of rod shadow. You mentioned the black light puppetry and stop motion animation. How do you realize this story? Yeah, that's basically what it comes down to is, is seeing can, how do I picture it? Or how does anybody who's working in this medium? And it's like, well, what is the visual message you want to get across? How can you tell what's happening? And uh, one of the shadow puppet sequences is using two overhead projector lights and ping-ponging between the two and you tell the story through long shots you're actually using the language of film with the with the shadow puppetry and we have another set of puppets that are a different illumination where we're actually moving the light through the scenery and it's a version we do of caravan oh, so it's, wow. oh, it's in a desert and it's camels in a caravan going into a tent and to, in the tent there's a belly dancing mouse <laughs> <laughs> and so it's always keeping our hand reach out to like the kids to make sure that they're following along the story and visually it's it's a very visual show hmm. we've heard the names of a few of the famous ellington tunes how many songs are adapted for the show we know we have the three that are really, it's Caravan, Mood Indigo. Yeah, Mood Indigo is a great one, because it, and, and it's challenging because it's slower. But what has just happened is that the cat has been told he can't come through the front doors of the Cotton Club because he's not white. So he sings this song, Mood Indigo, and there's little snippets of history throughout the play that deal with difficult subject of segregation and prejudice. But there's also great inspiration from Ellington. Like they couldn't find hotel rooms. So he just he just rented Pullman cars and eliminated that problem. So, you know, it was brilliant. He couldn't find housing, but he just created it his own with the Pullman train cars. You are teaching important parts of our history with this show. Yes. Renee, do you perform live? I do not perform live with this particular show, but the puppeteers are singing live, and they are singing in the style of the close jazz harmonies of the Andrew Sisters and Manhattan Transfer, and they are puppeteering at the same time. It's amazing. 
This sounds absolutely amazing. So it's the visual, and then you add beautiful tracks. Unfortunately, I didn't do them, but they were absolutely wonderful of live musicians. And then these live voices, and they're great voices. They're really they're great singers. Oh, so you are not playing the piano for... I am not the... playing the piano for the show, Lois. But the musically, it's, I'm still extremely happy. I'm always reluctant that we need to be able to feel the music. And sometimes the tracks, they just don't do that. Fortunately, this show still allows you to feel every moment. You want to dance on, it doesn't mean a thing. And they do, the kids do. They, they are, are out of their seats and in the aisles dancing. <laughs> That's fantastic. I just want to say how much fun it was working with Renee. Uh, and and what, how wonderful of a director you are with the music and encouraging and getting I, those singers and our puppeteers, I think they went to another, another level through your help, your guidance. Well, thank you, John. Thank you. You gave me some good talent to work <laughs> with. That was, that was really, it was really fun. They are really good. They are extremely good and they just beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, do we know if Duke Ellington really had a cat? After exhaustive research, <laughs> I have no proof that he actually ever had a cat, yet there's no proof that he didn't have a cat. Ah, uh, and we know he was one cool cat. <laughs> totally. Everything else can be proven except the cat. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, all the scenes are based on real events in his life. I wish we could have put the Queen's Suite in the show. It's a beautiful piece of music. It exists. I think we're using the part of it, the single petal of a rose. And it's, it's an underscore during the, when he's waking up in the morning. Mm, okay. That, that it's in there. It's just, it's not just promise, but it's kind of in the background. Of, and we got the rights, just in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> we did get the rights. We're paying royalties on all of the songs that we need to do royalties for and it took research to just to find out who actually owned the copyright to these two. Oh, really yeah it, it took a year and a half of, of exploration to find the actual rights holders writer and director john ludwig and music director esprene clark duke ellington's cat is on stage at the Center for Puppetry Arts through March 12th. And more information is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. City Lights senior producer Kim Drobes is one cool cat herself, and she joins me now. <laughs> hey, thank you, Lois. Kim. You were just telling me you saw another production at the Center for Puppetry Arts last week, correct? That's right. I saw the world premiere of the new adult show, Tesla vs. Edison. It was amazing. The puppets are beautifully designed. They are mesmerizing to watch. The set was so smartly crafted and had a lot of unexpected surprises that I don't want to spoil for anyone else. 
but it is the story of two of history's greatest inventors and their fierce competition to light up the world. This production is also on stage at the Center through the 12th of March. Thanks, Kim. The Center for Puppetry Arts is an international treasure. How lucky are we in Atlanta? More information about Tesla versus Edison is on the Center's website, puppet.org. Coming up, music contributor Vaughn Phoenix joins us for this month's edition of Punk Black To Go. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights. It's great to have you along. It's time to check in with City Lights music contributor Vaughn Phoenix. Vaughn is the president and co-founder of Atlanta's cultural and media phenomenon, Punk Black. And he joins us monthly to highlight artists of color performing in a variety of musical arenas, many of which break stereotypes and expectations. Here's Vaughn Phoenix with this month's edition of Punk Black To Go. Greetings, my friends. I'm City Lights music contributor Vaughn Phoenix, and this is Punk Black To Go. For the unfamiliar, Punk Black is a media network that features people of color in the rock, art, cosplay, and neuro communities. Each month, I will bring you bands, experiences, and more from the Punk Black scene and beyond. Without further ado, let's get this thing started. So I normally start these episodes by reminiscing on a story, but I don't have a story today. I would just like to reminisce and pour one out to a lot of the DIY venues that have closed in Atlanta due to mostly gentrification. The DIY scenes in Atlanta over the years kept punk black and other rock and other genre scenes going for a long time. You know, they're sort of unsung after they die. Um, A lot of them can't go on because of different big corporations and businesses moving into the areas or, you know, just not being able to afford rent and other costly things to keep up to code. There's a whole myriad of things, you know, that comes with running a venue. And a lot of these DIY venues just do it out of their own pockets. You know, they don't have like these big sponsorships and anything like that. So I sort of just want to say that, you know, I see you and we miss you. You know, venues like Memo Gallery, one of the really good venues back in the day. We get stage, everybody was professional. Um, and <laughs> that's sort of hard to find, you know, when it comes to DIY, because, you know, you want it to be a DIY sort of show or, you know, you have to be DIY. But, you know, some professionalism um, always helps. And uh, Memo Gallery had that in tow on, you know, on both sides. They're really balanced in that regard. They're one of the venues I missed, um, especially on that that whole street. I think it was Forsyth or something back in the day. I cannot remember the name of the street right now for the life of me. But, you know, Memo Gallery, um, Downtown Players Club. I think Murmur uh, may be still around. And, of course, other venues, um, Drunken Unicorn, you know, rest in peace, the original Masquerade. Like, yes, it was dangerous. Yes, they had a pillar in the middle of a stage. <laughs> but, um, you know, we all still loved it. We respect it. Um, my heart still stops thinking about uh, my uh, my equipment going to heaven stage to the conveyor belt. <laughs> it was um, it was always really, really crazy. But other venues, you know, again, kept us going. You know, Cleaners was back in the days. Rowdy Daddy, we did a whole mess of shows at back in the day. But yeah, again, to a lot of these venues and a lot of venues um, outside of Atlanta, DIY venues, uh, you know, we appreciate you and 
we hope you can keep it going and you know whatever we can do uh let us know but enough reminiscing and nostalgia let's get to some bands first up we have ash tuesday ash tuesday um we recently discovered and really dig um i think dream pop indie emo emo as far as the lyrics dream pop and indie as far as the uh the tone of I can listen to this when I'm really sad, or I can listen to this when I'm really happy, you know, driving down the road, having a nice day on the beach or something like that. Like, really good music, good for the heart, good for the soul, and good to start off your morning. So to help you get things going, here's Rushmore by Ash Tuesday. That was Rushmore by Ash Tuesday. Ash Tuesday can be found on Instagram at Ash Tuesday. So listen to this one. So that's A-S-H-T-W-O-S-D-A-Y. Again, that's A-S-H-T-W-O-S-D-A-Y. Next up, we have Over Anna. Over Anna is another um, newly discovered band. You know, I think I'm going to call this episode the Vaughn is getting a little older episode and feeling really nostalgic because Over Anna also makes me feel nostalgic um, for those sort of 2005 to 2008 era pop punk. The music that like me and my friends used to skateboard to and, you know, drive our cars like a little bit too fast and you know, <laughs> back in the day. Good era of music, um, I'm not going to lie, one of my um, favorite eras. But anyway, Over Anna is a good driving band, um, really good vocals type music. They're definitely going to get you pumping. Here is And They Were Roommates by Over Anna. That was And They Were Roommates by Over Anna. Over Anna can be found on Instagram at Over Anna Band. That's O-V-E-R-A-N-N-A-B-A-N-D. Last up, but certainly not least, we have Bondbreaker. In celebration of Punk Black coming back to South by Southwest. Super excited. It's going to be an all-fin-front of show, the Fem Fatale all-fin-front of showcase for Punk Black. And yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really groovy. We have like a good lineup. We might be adding another band or two. Watch out for more of that on Punk Black's Instagram at punk.black. But Bondbreaker, 100% is one of my favorite bands. Cool people, good music. Um, if, uh, you know, going through the three horse people of the apocalypse, if we're starting with Ash Tuesday, like bring you into the morning, you're like, okay, you know, these are, these are the things I have to fight for. And then, you know, you're going into the getting dressed montage with Over Anna to kind of like get you ready to kick butt. And then Bondbreaker comes on, Cure Gods, and you're, you're in the battlefield. <laughs> Love this band. They get me driving um, while I'm driving or while I'm not driving or, you know, mosh pits, mosh pits with my cat, mosh pits with my partner, you know, the, the, the whole nine yards. They're a really, really good combination of hard rock, punk, maybe a little old school metal. I might be reach, reaching with that one, but they're a good blend of multiple genres of rock. I know you're going to love them. So this is Kill Your Gods by Bondbreaker. Breaker. 
That was Kill Your Gods by Bondbreaker. Bondbreaker can be found on Instagram at bondbreakeratx. That's B-O-N-D-B-R-E-A-K-R-A-T-X. Well, my friends, that's all I have for you this month. Thank you so much for listening. More information about the bands mentioned today is available on wb.org slash citylights and, of course, punkblack.com. For WAB City Lights, I'm Vaughn Phoenix. Please be safe out there and be kind to each other. Music contributor Vaughn Phoenix and our series Punk Black To Go. More information about the bands Vaughn mentioned today is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. The Atlanta Baroque Orchestra is collaborating with Canera in an upcoming concert titled Double Header. Canera was founded in 2008 by a group of grad students from Westminster Choir College in New Jersey who wanted to continue singing together in their professional careers. More recently, Canera relocated to Atlanta, and that's how the collaboration emerged. J.D. Burnett is the artistic director of Canera. Slowly, the organization grew, and we uh, were able to start fundraising and uh, paying our singers and inviting singers who were from outside the Westminster Circle into the group. And now, Canara is one of the fine professional chamber choirs in the country. The concert includes a variety of music highlighted by works of Buxtehude and Bach. Here's Julie Andrzejewski, artistic director of the Atlanta Baroque Orchestra, discussing the repertoire. So for this program, we eventually limited our scope to German music for the Lenten season. Appropriately, J.S. Bach became our anchor, our focus, and we are ending the concert with his motet, Comme Jésus Comme. The selections leading up to the motet are all by composers who J.S. Bach knew and admired. Diederik Buxtehude is the organist that Bach famously walked several hundred miles from Arnstadt to Lübeck to hear. Johann Christoph Bach, J.S. Bach's first cousin once removed, is little known today, but was quite esteemed in his day. J.S. Bach himself, along with his son, C.P.E., described Johann Christoph's works as profound, great, and expressive, and both father and son studied and performed his works. Johann Christoph's cantata, Herr, wende dich und sei gnädig, or Lord, turn to me and show your mercy, is a dialogue between God and his people and ends with a spectacular chorus beginning, Go forth and tremble not, that has elaborate intertwining violin lines over a really powerful chorale. And amongst all of this choral music, we've included an instrumental concerto by Bach's dear friend and fellow composer, Georg Philipp Telemann, featuring ABO's fabulous oboist, Catherine Montoya. Performances are March 3rd at Peachtree Road United Methodist, March 4th at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and March 5th at Lasseter Concert Hall in Marietta. More information about the concerts is on their website, atlantabaroque.org. Org slash double header. 
You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., we'll hear about good, bad people on stage at True Colors Theater through March 12th. Plus, City Lights producer Summer Evans catches up with Atlanta-based fashion designer Kenya Freeman. If you missed part of today's show, like my earlier conversation with blues rock guitar legend Joe Bonamassa, you could catch up through our podcast or on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find a complete archive of our stories so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Trobes. Our producers are Summer Evans and Janine Etter, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.